0: adventurers, this is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And I'm your other co-host, Emmy. And today we are starting on a new foot, having completed our series of episodes discussing the different nations of Eorzea in the hopes that you can use this information to create a character of your own with an accurate background. That's right. But we have a lot more to talk about in the realm of that's a bit more meta, and has to do with the basic experience of roleplay in F fourteen, how it works, and the kind of things you might experience from our perspective, both good things and occasionally problems that come up.
1: Now, this particular topic I'd like to talk about is something that I came across while I was playing as an NPC in Final Fantasy fourteen, But this particular situation brings about the discussion of a more overarching topic. So let's start out with the difference between NPCs and OCs, and we've already talked about a lot of the differences between an NPC and an OC. Namely, when you build an OC, it's completely from scratch. Whereas when you make an NPC, there's sort of a template that you can build on. They're an existing character with some backstory, and they have a certain personality, and something about that character really inspires you, and you decide to build on what is given in canon.
0: Yeah. Just as a review, OC means original character. Someone that you made up from scratch, and NPC means non-playable character. In this context, it's basically taking an existing character in the story. And adopting them as your muse.
1: That's right. Now, as an NPC role player running around in the game, there are some people who I found while I was running around who weren't so agreeable with having characters who share likenesses with existing characters from the game just popping up in unexpected places. For example, sometimes my quests in the main scenario would lead me to places like Kurthas as Nanamo, who is somebody who can be found, more likely than not, in the desert. And, and yeah, some people just aren't that thrilled with having characters who are NPCs running around because, in their opinion, it ruins their immersion.
0: Yeah. I can sort of see that because... Definitely far and away, most role players in-game play original characters. You know, they want to have fun with character creator. They want to pick a race and clan and a name and all that. So it may actually be something that they never expect to see, an NPC clone running around. And by immersion, we kind of mean the sense that you are fully absorbed in your fictional world Just like you would be if you were reading a really good book or watching a really good movie. It's like the suspension of disbelief. You need some internal consistency or your immersion, your suspension of disbelief, can be broken. For example, if you're reading a really, really good book and you're super absorbed in it, and then you suddenly read a typo, you'll sort of snap out of it. And you'll actually remember, oh, I'm in the real world. (laughs) Also, if you're watching a movie and then there's suddenly some really, really terrible acting, <laughs> that's one thing that always gets to me that breaks the immersion and the suspension of disbelief. Basically, what happens is if you're running around as your OC doing your thing and you see something that you don't perceive as making sense in the world, such as Nanamo running around in Curthus, you suddenly r- realize, oh, wait, something's wrong here. Oh, I'm, I'm snapped out of my my immersion. Something that I really enjoy doing because this is all, you know, just a different way of experiencing fiction to us. It's just like reading a book or watching a movie, except, you know, we are, we are playing in it. We are real people with real agency.
1: Mm-hmm. And actually, now that you, you say it, bad acting does remind me of NPCs being potentially ruining immersion by doing things that are <laughs> extremely out of character. Now, we might come back to that a little bit later on, but both of those things, like running around in Kurthas, or, well, maybe not everybody running around in Kurthas, some people belong in Kurthas, but, you know, running around in places where your character might not be found, like, ever, sometimes gets on, on people's nerves. And as a result, some of the NPC role players joke that, oh man, we exist, we're ruining <laughs> people's immersion, it's terrible, like, you do have to develop a, a thick skin about this. But even though it is joked about, the more I do think about it, the more that it really does bring up a lot to discuss about the influence that characters have on the world around them and, and more importantly, the people around them.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, so, namely, I want to talk about god modding. And this does apply to original characters, NPCs, really any kind of character here. But god modding occurs when people make their characters pretty much invincible or able to do whatever they like. Now, maybe this is taken to an extreme. For example, imagine a character who is able to win every single battle that they enter, or they have insanely uncommon superhuman traits that just stack and stack and stack upon each other so that whenever you interact with them, you know, if, if you were in a situation like this, it might end up feeling very one-sided. So, for example, like remix, if you were in a fight with, let's just say this character appears to be fairly scrawny, right? But you uh-huh. guys get in an argument and the character decides, all right, I guess I'll, I'll fight you to prove that I'm right in the situation. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a random scrub in the maelstrom <laughs> who just joined. Let's pretend. We're going to take this as (laughs) out of proportion as possible. Extreme, extreme god modding here. So, so random scrub recruit decides that she's going to go and say, hey, your order was wrong.
0: What do you mean? I'm never wrong. I'm the admiral.
1: (laughs) Are you sure about that? We're going to go out now. We're going to go to the wolves den and we're going to go duel. So they go out. (laughs) They go ahead out to the wolves den. And Melvib, for whatever reason, has forgotten her guns, right?
0: <laughs> All
1: right. And we'll we'll say Melvib's forgotten the guns. It makes it a lot easier <laughs> right now. Um, so Melvib somehow has forgotten the guns and throws a punch, and character suplexes this female row into the ground. Gasp! Okay, so what does Melvib do now?
0: Well, is she like in the ground, like Hildebrand level, like in the ground? <laughs> no, not
1: not in the ground. In the ground. We'll pretend that she's she's able to. To get up here.
0: Alright, she'll get up and continue the fight.
1: Okay, so what does she do now?
0: Since it's very likely that whoever she's fighting is shorter than her, she'll attempt to kick them.
1: Except this character now has flight. Oh! And flies up into the <laughs> air.
0: <laughs>
1: oh man, what what's your problem? And rams into her from the what? side. Like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> My point in this is, when you're interacting with people who God mod... The interactions can be very one-sided, and the other person in the exchange, as I'm sure you do right now, Remix, uh-huh. can feel very powerless and very frustrated, because it feels like you're shoved into a corner.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so so I think when people hear the term God-modding, they agree that, yeah, it's not a good thing, but sometimes things aren't as clear-cut as that one example fight that I've done. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the line between acceptable and unacceptable can be debated. And so that's kind of what I'd like to talk about today.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. We had some live RP on the show. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, the real problem with this practice, that you have to understand, it's not about your character does something that I don't like. It's more like you write in such a way that takes away the other person's ability to make decisions. It's like you're making all the decisions for them. You're putting words in their mouth. You're making it so that you're writing them into a corner so that they have no other options or decisions about how they act other than the way you want them to act. And that's no fun. You know, this is an exchange. You want every reply to your RP post to be a surprise.
1: You sort of want it to be open-ended in some ways so that the, the thread can continue in ways that maybe you didn't expect.
0: Yeah, this is a collaborative process. If you just want to write about your character kicking everybody's ass, go write a fanfic. (laughs) Like, but (laughs) RP is not that. (laughs) But at the same time, you can see how this is a little bit of a sticky, wibbly wobbly kind of concept. How, yeah, there is a fine line sometimes. And I think that I want to give people the benefit of the doubt that most of the time, when they godmod, it's not intentional. They did it unconsciously, because that's just what came to their head, and they didn't think about things from the other person's perspective. You know, they just weren't self-aware enough to realize that this is a bad habit that they can fall into if they're not careful.
1: That's very true. If it's an OC or if it's an NPC, I think a lot of people don't really realize that they might be abusing their influence on other people.
0: Yeah. I think some of the most common scenarios where this happens is in action sequences and fight sequences. But to kind of link these two subjects together, if one of us or one of you is role playing an NPC that, let's say, has a lot of power in the world, like, you know, a head of state, could it be that an NPC who's powerful in game also attempts to be too powerful in RP?
1: So if we wanted to use a head of state, as an example. Say you wanna play as Kane Sena, right? She seems like a pretty kind character. Maybe you enjoy Kane Sena's strength and her maturity given her years, and you decide you wanna play Kane Sena.
0: Maybe you listened to Argodania episode and you just loved all this analysis we did on the Pajal and on the Society, and you were so inspired by listening to MuseCast. So you're gonna roleplay
1: as Kane Sena. Now, somebody like Kane Sena does have a fair amount of impact on what goes on in Cretania. She, as head of Order of the Twin Adder, is able to command what anybody in the Order of the Twin Adder does. Now, think of that in terms of the grand scheme of things. If we said that a third of the people of Eorzea were registered in Order of the Twin Adder, it's very possible that you could use that power, and in some cases, some might argue, abuse that power to try and get people in the Order of the Twin Adder to do something for you because they are loyal to Kane-sena.
0: Yeah, this could come up in a situation where you, as Kane, meet another OC who is a loyal Gredanian, a Twin Adder soldier, and you, purposefully or not, try to jump in and be like, well, I'm in charge here now. And I'm going to just command you to do things that I would like you to do, plot device, when that could be a little bit cheap, and it could derail what the other person wants to do, it could derail an existing storyline, and all of this happens because you, the Mun, didn't talk with the other Mun offline about what you wanted to do, and what was an appropriate level of control in this situation. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of improvising in RP, but... But when you have that in-character imbalance of power, there's definitely potential for things to screw up in a way that just doesn't make it fun anymore.
1: That's right. It's very easy for people to abuse that influence, even if they're well-intending, to get other people to do what they want. And sometimes you don't even mean for people to do what they want. Some people deliberately try to limit the impacts that their interactions have. Um, I have, unfortunately, learned this the hard way when I had newly transferred to Baomeng, I was attending an event called the Grindstone. And what that is, is it's a bunch of characters who just show up, they're there to fight, and they use physical weapons to try and win this tournament sort of setting.
0: It's like a boxing match basically, right?
1: Somewhat, except you have all the different classes that are in the game, Mm, so. So
0: like in-character PVP? (laughs)
1: In-character PvP with physical type
0: weapons only. Oh yeah, so no no mages.
1: So what I was trying to do there was spectate, and I thought it would be interesting for people to maybe hear some of the thoughts that my Nanamo was thinking at the moment. Granted, I wasn't there to try and disrupt the fight, I wasn't there to change the course of the fight at all, I was just sort of there and I thought some people might find it entertaining. But some people didn't. They had thought that I was trying to abuse that power to say, oh, my character's a sultana, so I'm allowed to do what I want, which, you know, never was the case. But I learned the hard way that it's very easy because my character does have that power to say things that imply that sort of abusive power. And so from there, I've had to keep things a little bit more low-key. Hmm. Now, some people do allow NPCs to attend events, and other people are sort of similarly on this middle ground where they say, well, maybe major NPCs shouldn't be played by others, but minor ones are fine. But then if that's the case, what defines a major? For example, would somebody like maybe Moonbrita qualify as major? She's in the main scenario. She does help the Scions with their objectives, but she doesn't really appear there for long.
0: Another thing that people might say is like, oh, you're playing Moonbrita and you're alive. That ruins my immersion too.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It's a question that I really don't think we have the answer to. And what's major, what's minor, what should be allowed to appear in game and what shouldn't is going to vary from person to person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're not bringing this up because we have all the answers. We're bringing it up because we want to shed some light on the problem, shed some awareness, and open up a discussion of different points of view. Yeah, for sure. We really are fans of the Aorazian Alliance. And if somebody said, well, you can't RP any of the Aorazian Alliance because they're heads of state and they have too much power, so it can never happen and it can never work. That's pretty disappointing, right?
1: That definitely is. If you want to play a major NPC, in my opinion, at least, we're here to have fun. I don't want somebody to go ahead and ruin that fun. But- should we try to lessen our impact on others and try and make sure that there's as little godmodding as perceived by other people as possible? Hmm.
0: I would say that it's pretty tough. And in your story that you told, one of the things that might have gone wrong is that nobody had expected Anonimo to show up. Probably the event organizers didn't know, nobody who was attending knew. And I wonder if it's something... Where, you know, you're in this kind of position, especially if, if it was taking place in Ulda, that maybe you ask the organizer in advance. Hey, yeah, how do you think it would be taken if I showed up in characters nonmo or like Lilira, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, nowadays, that's what I do. I message the event organizers or people who are there. If I happen to show up spontaneously, I'll at least make sure that before I interact, I get in touch with somebody who's in charge of the event and be like, hi, is it okay if I show up if I stay at this event for a little while. Another thing that I found that's been really helpful to make sure that people don't think that I'm god modding, especially because, you know, I'm well intended, is that I try to use methods of conversation like in-game party chat or maybe say, instead of using yell or shout. I think that's been very helpful, especially for people who I know are not very fond of Seeing NPCs around and having that image forced upon them.
0: Yeah. I think that's just good etiquette for RP events in general. And I do believe we'll talk about in game RP events in a future episode. That's
1: right. But for NPCs especially, I think it's important to make sure that it's good by the organizers before coming in, especially as a major NPC. I've ended up asking some organizers, in some cases, if it's alright to attend an event or spectate in an event, and sometimes I've even been turned down. And, yeah, it's really disheartening, to be honest, to be told, no, you can't join in and volunteer And in one of these cases. They told me very kindly, of course, that we don't want you to volunteer because we don't want you pressing the idea that your portrayal of a canon character is the canon Portrayal or that the event organizers support a certain portrayal as canon It makes sense. I understand their point of view It's still disheartening, but that's unfortunately part of this NPC life
0: Yeah, things are getting kind of complicated fast, aren't they?
1: (laughs) They definitely are they got complicated very fast and I think on smaller servers. I found there aren't quite as many people There so there isn't as much opposition which is very nice But if you're planning on coming to a bigger RP server and you plan on coming as an NPC, there just might not be people who are fond of it. And even if you are on a smaller server, just as common courtesy, I found, be sure that people are okay with it and try to stay low key. That's that's my best advice here.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just try to look at it from the organizers or the attendees perspective. They're doing this to create a story, a little evening in their character's life. And, yeah, it sucks that there's this opposition and and people don't understand the point of view of someone like me or Emmy. But our individual enjoyment, just at the end of the day, it's not going to be more important than all those other people. An organizer has to know their community, know their group. And if that's their decision, well, that's their decision. You're going to get a lot more points in the community by being courteous and handling rejection gracefully. Because a lot of times the NPC role players become sort of known, like... For a while, I was the only person I knew who was Arping Rovib. And many people know about, like, Amy's Nanamo. You know, there's this weird sort of, like, popularity that's gained as other people might read our stuff and say, I like it, I like this person's portrayal of this NPC character that I like. And reputation is no small thing, as it turns out.
1: That's right. When somebody roleplays with you, they are, in that moment, accepting how you're portraying that character as canon. That doesn't mean you are the canon portrayal, but it means that they're willing to entertain the idea for however long it is that you're interacting with them. And as such, yeah, you do have that influence, and you want to make sure, hopefully, that you don't influence them too much. I like making sure that any of my interactions won't disrupt what's canon in the original story. Sort of treating them as deleted scenes so that the portrayal themselves is very similar to what is canon. It won't really ruin their immersion in the main scenario.
0: Yeah, and this actually can get a little complicated. I've often thought to myself when people say that they want to RP with MOVA, it's like, well, what does her day usually consist of? It consists of like sitting in meetings and like probably doing paperwork and doing politician stuff. She just naturally does not have the opportunity to interact with random people. So you have to make that fit somehow. You know, I'm not trying to be canon divergent. I think it's actually more fun to try to logic it out. Like one time I had her like going in disguise and sneaking about Limsa. Or in another time, the other character literally like fell out of the sky. (laughs) (laughs) And it was hard not to notice and everybody got on high alert. You know, things like that.
1: Yeah, or in the case of Nanimo. When she was in that K-pop group, I decided not to have the Sultana go ahead and run around doing dance macros But I spend a lot of my time in the Lilira persona because she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time And it's more likely that Nanamo would go out to have fun without an accompaniment as Lilira So it sort of supplements what we already know in canon So maybe that sounds like it's a little bit restrictive but I found that but I found that imagining those deleted scenes is a really great way to expand your knowledge of the character.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's actually more fun figuring out ways to make it work, rather than just saying, well, screw the rules. I'm just gonna break them to make it easier. Like it's more of a challenge to say, like, exactly how Merva would meet anyone else off the street who's not in the maelstrom, right? Mm-hmm. And This is kind of a particular problem that we have as NPC role players, because I think think that because we're the minority and that most people are OCs, it's like we kind of stick out more. Like we're more memorable in people's minds. And...
1: That can go either
0: way. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes that means that we get more scrutinized. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes we do want to treat things as deleted scenes, but other times people have approached me... Saying, hey, I want to ship my character with yours. Something that probably will never happen in canon. Um, something that may even conflict with what ends up happening in canon later on. Yeah. But sometimes I'm okay with entertaining that idea. And what I decide to do in that case, instead of trying to see one ship as canon, is I decide to create AUs. And make those AUs, those alternate universes, very private, usually between the two people who are involved.
0: Yeah, this is actually very, very common. When two people like RPing together and they both agree that they want to do something that just doesn't follow any of the other rules, doesn't follow any of the other canon. They'll just create their own little shared universe. And this is totally okay because, as we said in our first episode, the biggest thing that makes an RP work is good communication. Exactly. And... In
1: this way, you don't necessarily have to stick to, oh, everything that I do has to be completely adherent to canon, but you're still acknowledging that people don't always want to see things that diverge from canon a whole lot, and so you keep it private. What I've seen with that is an emergence of things that I've seen people call canon divergence, and creating sometimes completely canon divergent characters, and just stating that Some details about that character might be completely different from what actually happened in a main scenario quest.
0: Yeah, the person we know that is RPing of all people, Talegi Atalegi, like fully admits that she's taking a lot of liberties, not only in making him well alive, but with the characterization because there just wasn't enough to go on in the game, and he was sort of maybe two-dimensional as villain. So there's going to be a lot of elaboration.
1: Yeah, so she's decided to market this talegi portrayal as canon divergent, because the big thing, of course, is the character in her portrayal didn't die, but instead was able to use magic to cling to life at the very end, even though he was pronounced dead. And so that's her story that she has for her teleji. There are other people I know who have not finished the main scenario, but they still feel a connection to a certain muse. I know somebody who plays Thancred who hadn't finished the main scenario. And as a result of that, she specifically states, I might diverge from the canon portrayal of Thancred and I'll try my best to stick to the story, but my interpretation of Thancred in this case is slightly different from how others may see them.
0: Yeah, and that's totally allowed. They're just going to be different than others or different than the common perception, but it's like do your own thing and find people that enjoy what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I do believe, despite all of this that we're saying, that canon is important, and that includes, in many cases, knowing the lore, knowing the story, or maybe even doing a tiny bit of research, but the reason that's important is because we're many, many, many players. Who are all in a shared universe and we have to maximize the amount of consistency that we have in this universe or else RP is not going to work because we need a common basis to start from. However, you know, the reason that we're RPing is because we want to let our imaginations take us further, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know that there's more potential. So sometimes the most interesting and creative things can only be done if you bend some rules. And that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Like
1: we said, that is completely okay. And I guess you could say that whenever you interpret a character and interpret certain events, you are taking your perspective and putting your own spin on the story and your extension of the story as you interact with other players. So whenever there is a human behind the character who isn't part of the dev team, doesn't know what's going to happen in the future, there's a chance that something that you do could end up conflicting with something that later happens in the canonical story.
0: Yeah, very much so. There's always this problem that I have when trying to write that I think to myself, I can't predict the future of this story. So I get so paralyzed by not being able to decide what's going to happen in the future that I almost want to be like, well, I can't do this. If that's the case, you
1: could always just change it. You can redact something that you said yeah, before. Yeah, For example, there was one headcanon that I had where I said, initially, Nanamo doesn't remember, like, anything about her parents because there was nothing there that said anything about memories of her parents. And then Starlight came along, and she was talking about the banquets and the festivities that would happen during Starlight when her parents were alive. And I thought, oh, oh, well then that's something different so I had to adapt that headcanon but you know that's all right that is completely all right and you can write so that there's room to be wrong
0: yeah that happened to me as well I think that for many people the arrival of the lore book kind of blew things out of the water (laughs) like I always thought of Merleweb as being close with her father and then the lore book's like "Nah." Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> she fucking murdered him. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they were close before that. And then, you know, things happened that were unfortunate. They were
1: close. <laughs> they were close together. They were standing close together. Yes. When she killed.
0: Them. Yes. And she shot him at point blank range. OK, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's that's my new headcanon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, this can happen not just with your own speculation and headcanon But with subjective interpretations of the events of the story or the contents of the lore book. Basically, this is a work of fiction. So, words and actions are going to have meaning behind them, but the meaning can be different for everybody because everybody has their own unique lens and perspective. We have to remember that there are as many versions of FF14 as there are players. Everybody is thinking of a slightly different story on an emotional level. For example, I may think that Nanamo or Mova or somebody else does something and that it implies this about their true feelings. And then somebody else feels differently about what that action or word meant. And neither of us is wrong. And even though we might make an effort to, you know, hit up Koji, hit up the lore experts and ask them, what do you think about this? We have to understand that none of us are actually right. None of us are absolutely truly right and that can apply sometimes even to like the authors to like Koji and Oda when we were at FanFest and I was geeking it up with Sarah Timono from Phoenix Town Radio he was talking about this concept the death of the author which is nothing new to literature at all but it says that the writer the creator is not necessarily the assigner of meaning to a story. Like, a writer can intend to convey one emotion, and you feel something else. And it doesn't mean that your interpretation is wrong, it's just a feeling, you know? So it's something to keep in mind, even in a video game. It's just as much a powerful work of fiction, and more importantly, that it's ongoing. This is something that's sold in chapters, in patches.
1: And in that case, I'd like to ask, what exactly is canon? Anyway, If everybody has their own interpretation, I'm really not sure, and this is my (laughs) opinion. I'm not sure that one person's view of canon is going to be exactly the same as somebody else's. So, what is canon? I don't know. (laughs) Here's the thing. Either way, there are going to be people who you may encounter who might not like the idea of NPC roleplayers. So, if you are an NPC roleplayer and people say, hey, I don't really want to roleplay with you, There really isn't much you can do. It's sad when it happens, but if you try and push people into roleplaying with you and push yourself onto people, it's not going to solve anything. So just pay attention, be understanding as much as you can, and try and enjoy the game with what you have.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. The RP community for FF14 is strong, but it's still small enough that people do have reputations, especially... Within a certain arena, whether it's a certain server or specifically on Tumblr, specifically on and Roleplayers, etc. Wherever you're going to be part of a community, people are going to get to know your name. It just happens. So, of course, you want to be just great to everybody else because you're a nice person, right, listener? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) But also consider that you just can't go around having an attitude and it's better to just suck it up and then... And then understand that they're not the bad guy in this
1: situation. In this case, nobody is. It's just your own boundaries as opposed to their own boundaries. And if they aren't comfortable with it, then, you know, just respect it. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's just a huge interpersonal component to playing an MMO. And this same logic would apply to, like, your raid group, you know? You either come to an agreement as a team... Or you don't play together. That's like the only solution. You can't try to change people's minds. You can't force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do.
1: Now that said, that brings up another question about original characters. And I think we're going to wrap up this episode by talking about original characters and tying this all in where, okay, we've talked about this with respect to NPCs. Let's talk about the majority of characters here, original characters. Uh Uh-huh. Original characters... Like canon characters can also have a lot of influence on people, depending on how you shape that character. I was talking about original characters and NPCs and the idea of NPCs with a friend of mine and a fellow FC member who doesn't agree with people role-playing as NPCs, completely fine. But she told me that when she crafted her character, she decided that she was going to make her character be from a wealthy Uldan merchant family as opposed to being somebody who's extremely influential, somebody who's on the syndicate. And when you create an OC, I mean, it brings up a good point. Not everybody can be on the syndicate. Not everybody can fell primals in a single blow, like the Warrior of Light (laughs) in the original cutscenes. So using that influence is very similar to using the influence as an NPC. So when you're creating a character, just kind of keep that in mind as well. Now, I do have a question because a lot of people do want to roleplay characters who are Warriors of Light. What happens if you want to roleplay somebody who is the Warrior of Light though? Say you make a character who isn't the hero in the cutscenes, in the opening cutscenes of the game, but they are somebody who is supposed to be the person who is the one working with the Scions, who was in charge of a lot of these Scion operations. Um, With regards to the combat aspect, should others' opinions dissuade you from doing that? Wow. (laughs) It's a big question. It's a loaded question.
0: That is actually a very, very popular conundrum that happens because most people playing OCs also play the Warrior of Light. And because we're all playing the same story, that would mean that all of our characters have had virtually identical experiences, (laughs) you know? So I don't think we can get into this now or else we're going to run over time again. But there is a popular post circulating on Tumblr that deals with many of these issues. And there are ways around it. Absolutely. So we'll just summarize by saying once again, just communicate with people.
1: Yeah, communicate with people and try not to make your things very one-sided when you're creating characters, making them very overpowered. And it's a fine line, like we said- Try and keep in mind how other people may see your character, I guess.
0: Yeah, keep in mind the other people's point of view. I know we've covered a lot in this episode, and it may seem to people that are new to RP that this is like really, really complicated. (laughs) But it's not that bad when you get into it. It's just things to be aware of. So better to be aware of them now. And we covered a lot from god modding to NPC controversy to canon controversy. And it's a lot, but...
1: But we'd be glad to talk about it if you have any questions about it.
0: Yeah, this is definitely an episode, I believe, that will garner follow-up questions and hopefully some discussion.
1: I hope so, too, because there is a discussion to be had.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think everything really boils down to, one, have respect and empathy for the people that you're role-playing with, two, communicate with them, and three, do as much canon compliance as you and the other people are comfortable with and cool with. I mean, if you try to put Limsa Limensa in the desert, I would say that's going a little too far. You know, we, we <laughs> have to agree on a few things like Limsa Limensa is by the ocean and Ulda is in the desert, but... Well, <laughs> you
1: could say that maybe there was a drought and Limsa <laughs> Limensa is now... Yeah, you could come up with some, yeah. some story about it, but... Yeah, just just make sure everybody's alright with it.
0: Yeah, and you know, if you want to put Limits and Limits in the desert, make an AU.
1: (laughs) AUs are very
0: helpful. (laughs) Yeah, that's also allowed.
1: (laughs) Alright, well, I think for now we're going to halt this discussion and move to our weekly story. Every week, because we love the game so much, we give an account of something that had happened between now and the past episode. In-game, out-of-game, in-character, out-of-character. We just love it. So would you like to go first?
0: Well, I had quite a bit of fun out-of-game last weekend. What'd you do? I attended the weekend extravaganza of Final Fantasy that happened in the great state of New Jersey.
1: (laughs) Everything is legal in New Jersey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Except pumping your own gas. Really? I did not know that.
1: That's kind of cool. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, as many of you may have heard, this year was the inaugural year of KupoCon, a Final Fantasy-centric convention. So it
1: wasn't just for fourteen then, it was for a lot of Final Fantasies, I guess. Yeah, for all of
0: them. Yeah. It's never been done before, and I was interested to see how it would go. Because the first year for a convention is often really, really terrible. But they had a clever tactic on their side. They would schedule their convention the day after the Distant Worlds series of concerts came to New Jersey as well. Distant Worlds has been running for a number of years. It's wildly successful. I actually went to the last Distant Worlds that came by the same center in New Jersey two years ago. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. So much that I would absolutely go back. But with the addition of KupoCon, it became like a weekend, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. That's a very good timing strategy.
0: So it was on Saturday that the concert took place. I'm not sure if they do this at every distant worlds, but in New Jersey, it's always had three shows, 3 o'clock and 8 o'clock p.m. I had unfortunately had to get home to New York City, so I only attended the 3 o'clock show, but I got a chance to meet up with two of my free company mates who had driven up for the occasion. And we had lunch, and I also met them at FanFest, and... Still, really glad to see them. Always nice to connect in real life. <laughs> mm-hmm. We went to the show. I sat in my individual seat, which was actually in the fifth row, and had a great view and enjoyed it a whole ton. It's just such a moving experience to be able to hear that absolutely beautiful music, see Uematsu on stage, and be so close that you can see the instruments, feel the vibrations. Really, like live orchestra music is really an experience, mm-hmm. and of course, I'm doing it with this stuff that I just loved so, so, so much. And, and I also got the live tweet about it, and oh man, they played Answers, and they played Dragon Song, <laughs> and Susan Calloway was there, and they also played Torn from the Heavens, and I was like, oh man. And but you know, I've I've played practically every other Final Fantasy game, so I'm like Xanarkand and freaking you know, terrace theme, and I'm like, (laughs) all the feels, man, all the feels.
1: (laughs) That sounds like it was a really good time.
0: Yeah. And the day after, I schlepped all the way back (laughs) to attend KupoCon, and I even did so in costume. If you've met me at any of the fanfests, I'm usually in my white mage costume, complete with my Thyrus staff. And even though... It made the train ride a little bit less comfortable. I'm very much glad that I did. <laughs> I actually seem to have minor notoriety on Twitter now, because along with my staff prop, I'm holding up this sign that says on one side, in the style of the auto-translate dictionary, Cure, just used it. And then on the other side, it says, "Raise, do you need it? <laughs> <laughs> and that... <laughs> That's all- that sign came with you
1: to... Fantastic, didn't it?
0: Yeah. And somebody actually asked me, Emmy, by the way, if I had made the sign that was at the Harchifont Memorial.
1: <laughs> and
0: I said, yes, yes, I did. I made that for my friend we Emmy. We made that and one. She left it at the I majority. Colored
1: it. I colored that <laughs> <Yeah>. one. And <laughs> she colored it. And now it lives at the Square Enix offices. It does. I'm so yeah, glad of said that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I forgot the name of the person whose desk it's next to, but it is definitely there. I think it was it was Aya who told me this from the community team. I was like, oh, man. It's there. (laughs) We've made our mark on Square Enix history. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's
1: our MuseCast uh, souvenir. I guess we were here.
0: (laughs) Yes, we were. (laughs) Yeah, and so much happened at the con. It was very, very small. It basically all took place in one room. So much more similar to FanFest than some of the bigger cons that you're used to. There were a couple of rows of vendors at which I actually bought something for Emmy. It is a Golden Scales of Uldah decal. I'm so excited
1: (laughs) to get that. I'm going to be putting that on my car as soon as it gets here.
0: Yeah. And now we just have to think, hmm, I bought an extra set just in case we have something to give away to listeners. (gasps) Do you want to give
1: something away to listeners? I do. Let's give something away to listeners.
0: Let's do that. All right, listeners. Similar to our previous contest, all we want you to do is share any episode of Newscast 14 on any of your social media, just spread the love. Shouldn't be too hard, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you send us a link to your shared post, we'll put your name in the hat, and you could win. Let's see. I got a golden Scales of Vulda. I got a red Maelstrom Longboat Insignia, and I got a yellow Order the Twin crest. I think that's pretty appropriate. Are you going to give You'll all of those all away at
1: once, or are you going to give <laughs> yeah. this to
0: three separate people? Ugh. I think I'll give them all to one person because you never know who they love the most. True.
1: (laughs) All right. We'll do that then. Make sure to share our episode. Yep. Or any episode, really.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then come find us at MuseCastXIV.com and send a message or send an email to MuseCastXIV at gmail.com.
1: Yep. We'll get into all the ways that you can get in touch with us later as well. In
0: conclusion, I want to give a shout out to everybody that I saw at Kupokan. Mint Adanaid and Alelia Yastal from the wonderful Espers United FC of Gilgamesh, Aya aka Dancing Fighter from the SE Community Team, Mr. Happy for posing on the floor for that hilarious photo, <laughs> and last but not least, Yelta Sumasu from the Gather Together podcast, who drove all the way from bumfuck Middle America. <laughs> Go give their show a listen. You can find them at gtffxiv.com, gtffxiv on Twitter, or search for Gather Together on iTunes.
1: Now it's time for my story, I think, which is a lot shorter. (laughs) A whole lot shorter. So one of the groups who has donated to our Patreon page recently is The Crucible. And The Crucible is a tabloid. They like to say a reputable tabloid. Is what they market <laughs> themselves reputable. as. Very sensationalist, very funny stories. I love everything that they post on their, on their page here. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so the Crucible has been doing a bunch of things with Valentine's Day and getting ready for their next issue of the Crucible. And so I was asked to come over to Balmung and meet somebody on Balmung and get some pictures as Lyra and as Nanamo. Which was a lot of fun. So I got to go and pose for a couple of different screenshots, as I remember. Including, at the very end, we got to go to the Crucible office. And I'm not going to say what we did there, uh, because the image itself is going to be a surprise. But I got to go there, and Ooh. their apartment office was very well decorated. And it was a whole lot of fun. Aside from that, I haven't been really doing a whole lot of things in-game. But... Yeah, that's my highlight of the, the past week is doing some some screenshot modeling for Valentine's Day. And I think later on, there might be some screenshots of Nonimo in an upcoming Crucible issue. It's been very exciting to have been contacted for that.
0: Yeah, they're totally awesome. And does this have to do, if you can tell us, with their series of Valentines they're putting yeah, out? Yeah, the,
1: the photo shoot that I did... The other day was for the Valentine's series.
0: Hmm. Who wants to get a Valentine from Nanamo? We
1: made Valentine's last year from the Eorzean Alliance, though it wasn't with screenshots of yeah. our characters, but oh, maybe yeah. we can post oh, yeah. those on our MuseCast page sometime.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I yeah. remember those yeah. very well. There were there were safe for work and not safe for work versions. I'm
1: still reminded of that not safe for work <laughs> love of one that made me laugh and it's still making me oh, laugh yeah. now.
0: Yes. What is it? You'll have to come to our site to find yep. out. <laughs> and you can find
1: our website, like we said earlier, on www.musecastxiv.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, same thing, MuseCastXIV, and Twitter at XIV. We're not very creative with these names. You can also <laughs> subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, and we are on Google Play as well. And if you like what you heard and you would like to consider donating to us... You can make a monthly donation on Patreon, where, among other things, you can get access to our episodes 24 hours before they actually come out. And you can get access to bonus content, things that we really wanted to record but didn't have the time to do so. Or you can give a one-time donation on our PayPal, which you can find on our website as well. Yep. I think I ran through those very quickly, but I'm glad that we did. And, of course, if you want to enter our contest, like Remix said, you can send us an email at newscastxiv at gmail.com, or just leave us a message on our website, and we will accept that as an entry as well.
0: Yep, all we need is the link to the post where you shared one of our episodes. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. That's it. And that's it for this episode as well. <laughs> yep. What's coming up next, Emmy? You know, I'm not sure. I
1: think what I would like to do next time is talk a little bit about Baomung. We talked a little bit about Baomung on this episode, but let's talk more about Baomung.
0: Yeah, Baomung. It is a wonderful and complex place.
1: It's the biggest server, so we'll talk about the big server first. And then, who knows, maybe we'll talk about some smaller servers.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about that. Mm Mm-hmm. But... It'll have to wait for next time, so for now, we're going to say see ya, and happy adventuring. Yep, see ya next time. Thanks
1: for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Zalmang's perks and pitfalls. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.